Hey, this is Kara from Ruminate, and you're listening to Questionable Food. While there's these programs to maybe help, are they genuinely intended to eradicate poverty? If the goal is actually to do this work so well that the work is no longer needed, or does it feel so good to help and control who spends that we continue to perpetuate this society of haves and have-nots? Today, I'm talking to Lisa Bean, the manager of the Cafe Rising Grinds located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She'll be discussing how pre-existing inequalities in our communities have become more pronounced due to the current COVID-19 crisis. The questions she asks herself every day in thinking of long-term strategies for meaningful community-wide well-being and what she thinks those strategies could look like. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Lisa. I know we have a lot of big topics that we're going to chat about today, but we chatted before about the cafe and your management and how top of mind is really often concerns for your staff and your staff's personal and daily needs, perhaps even outside of kind of their their working life. How has the the crisis impacted that and, and what's top of mind for you now every day? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, first of all. It's really cool to be on here with you. I guess just kind of right off the bat, we're in the process of doing some unemployment with a couple of staff just because hours have just naturally been reduced. But there's there's a program, I believe the PUA, where folks are allowed to work limited hours and then still receive benefits and pay through their company. So there's some of that. There's obviously some kind of like immediate paycheck needing assistance. And we're in process of going through the PPP. Um, Hopefully we'll be seeing some of that soon. However, strangely, kind of, our staff is actually quite well taken care of right now. Um, There's only, there's a small group of us, five staff right now. And because of a lot of our partnerships and, and relationships within the community, we've had access to a lot of other cash assistance programs and um, other been able to pay bills for some people. So immediately it was really scary and shaking. Yeah. Um, however, in the, you know, in the last couple of weeks, people have really come through and um, we've been able to take really, really great care of our staff right now. Interesting. And I, I imagine it's really a credit to that support system that you guys are creating. I mean, oh, totally. you use the word strangely. And I think that it's, you know, not strange necessarily for you, but strange perhaps <laughs> for, for businesses as a whole. I mean, what are your thoughts yeah. kind of on on that role, I mean, yeah. as an employer, and I mean, technically, you guys have do have a social good mission, but you're also a business. Um, Most definitely. And that employer employee relationship and what you guys are doing and what you perhaps mm-hmm. wish others are doing. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a great question. I've been with the business since we started about even like before kind of planning about three and a half years. But we, we talked all the time. I've always heard conversation about like this supportive ecosystem and this network and, you know, the importance of the relationships with different types of businesses. But I really have not understood it or experienced it to the effect that I have in the last few months with uh, coronavirus. And I think just the, the strength that comes with you know, we have somebody full time at, at the center that we have access to that's researching grants and applying for them for like on behalf of the cafe, you know, and that's walking us through 
the paycheck protection and is making sure that staff are able to keep their lights mm -hmm. on. Um, and that's something just as, you know, as point person for the cafe, I wouldn't have had time to do that. I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so not only am I realizing this network, this, this ecosystem as really cool and helpful, but like actually vital and necessary for the sustainability of a business. And what, what do you see as kind of other businesses being able to do to sort of perhaps not replicate that, but maybe tap into resources that you, you know, you said you're, you wouldn't yourself be able to kind of do those things. Um, what might other businesses be able to do? People are wanting to help right now. And so I think reaching out to these privately funded, you know, foundations and what have you, and really being honest about what it is that is needed right now. Um, I think I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit more later, but I think if enough of us kind of independently owned and operated small businesses tell these foundations or even our local legislatures, you know, what it is that's actually helpful, you know, there's power in a lot of voices. And so just being honest about what it is that you need and what is or is not helpful, I think is, is really the best move right now. And it seems like it's that, the, the communication and collaboration piece seems to be the most important there. Yeah. I mean, have you seen that or kind of, are those some relationships that you guys are looking to build in terms of seeing, um, you know, businesses band together? Is that something that you see as kind of a, I, I guess, sort of a void that needs to be filled or, or do you see any of that happening yet? Yeah, I think um, just at a grassroots level, I know there is a group that is, um, so this is kind of another disparity thing. There was a, I can't even, I can't even name who put it on, but a small business like restaurant feature. Mm -hmm. Um, that was very heavily white-owned businesses yeah. and small businesses. Um, and, and so kind of in response to that, there's now this, there, there's a group that is featuring um, kind of a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial uh, group of food, food services and restaurants. And so I think, yes, people are coming yeah. together and whether, you know, there's a whole other story of, is it, is it equitable and, and who, who's banding together with who. Yeah. Um, but it is definitely, yeah, happening. I, and let's talk more about that. I mean, that's that's kind of a, at the crux of what we wanted to chat about here. Pre-existing inequalities kind of in our communities, and certainly not only in Grand Rapids, but in communities across the country are now sort of being seen through this lens of this global crisis. I mean, right. what are you seeing? How are those... those um, I guess those fault lines or being exasperated now or, um, you know, enhanced. Yeah. Before diving into this, I wanted to just kind of give a little back backtrack of myself and kind of this, the headspace that I'm in these days. Definitely. Um, I, yeah. I've been saying just, you know, different zoom meetings and, you know, kind of uh, reflecting with peers and whatnot. I, would say that I'm experiencing a season where I feel like I have a lot more questions than I do answers. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm trying to learn how to lean into that and see it as a strength, you know, to critically think and reflect on things. I think our society is often so very opinionated, often without having, you know, full facts or having heard various perspectives. And so, 
you know, without jumping to conclusions or, or quick solutions or why something is happening, I'm trying to be ask better questions wherever I go um, and even, you know, be willing to ask questions of my own questions and yeah. see where my own assumptions may lie. So that being said, I believe last time we spoke, we talked a little bit about kind of this like philanthropic West Michigan nice culture in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we're one of the most philanthropic cities in the country, you know, we give like millions, I don't know the exact number, but to all of these different nonprofits and churches in the city. However, kind of the different side of the same coin, we also have one of the largest wealth gaps, not only in our state, but also in the country, and especially between the black and white communities. You know, you drive down, you drive through the southeast side of Grand Rapids, and you know, our low income communities are overwhelmingly communities of color. And so it just it begs these questions like what isn't working? You know, should we should we be saying, yeah, well, despite our philanthropic efforts, we have, you know, lots still lots of low income families of color. Or is it fair to say because of our philanthropic mm -hmm. efforts, we have so many low income families of color? You know, are we asking the right questions? Is there a direct correlation here? that could begin to offer some solutions. Is there a correlation between a top-down philanthropic, nonprofit-driven economy and a perpetuated cycle of poverty? Are there perceived or widely accepted barriers to wealth? Are the, are the perceived or widely accepted barriers to wealth the real barriers to wealth? And by wealth, I mean you know power, power to decide, power to decide when, when and how one works, under what conditions one works where you send your kids, you know, what laws are made, having lobbying efforts, you know, or could there be a deeper issue, something like maybe the value system of white supremacy that an entire society lives into that at all costs is holding position and power in the hands of just a few. And then while there's these programs to maybe help, are they genuinely intended to eradicate poverty? And if the goal is actually to do this work so well that the work is no longer needed, or does it feel so good to help and control mm -hmm. uh, who spends that we continue to perpetuate this society of haves and have-nots? So, you know, unfortunately, or maybe even fortunately, I think these are far too weighty of questions to be answered, yeah. you know, in one sitting, but I think they should continue to be asked, and we learn to live these questions and I think living with those questions at the forefront of our mind and let those questions themselves guide our decision making. And, you know, if we don't get something quite right, being willing to ask ourselves, okay, what wasn't right? Why didn't that feel right? Why was someone not honored in that process? How did we maybe rob someone of their own decision making power? Asking our motivations before doing something. I completely is, agree. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think we could also say that the problem is that maybe there there aren't enough people asking those questions and there aren't enough people yeah. that are necessarily having that, I guess, sort of mental crisis that you're going through. I mean, what do you think is the <laughs> step to perhaps getting more people to question or, mm. you know, how do we get to that point where even yourself kind of you're in a position where you're already doing great work and really kind of like, I think probably working towards some of the answers to these things while also thinking about the the greater ramifications and how you can keep impacting those those larger rings. But what do we do about, I guess, what do we do about that? 
<laughs> how do we find the answers, right? Yeah, how do we find the answers and how do we get more people to realize that yeah. they don't have the answers or that these questions right. are perhaps not yet answered? Right. I think all I can do is continue to ask them myself. Yeah. And same for you. You know, yeah. I think you're an excellent question asker. <laughs> but yeah, like leading kind of leading the way. And, you know, when you're when you find yourself in maybe polarizing conversations, critically ask multiple perspectives, similar questions, you know, like, have you have you considered this person's lived experience? Have you considered this person's lived experience? And just in being an example of what does it look like to not pretend like you have it all figured out? Because I think the worst thing we can do is quick jump to solutions and slap on Band-Aid yeah. fixtures. And then five years, we realize in five years, we realize they're not sustainable. And we still have, we still have a ridiculous amount of poverty in the, in the state. In the I completely agree. And I, it's it's interesting to me and is something that I've I've definitely personally experienced and exactly what you're saying and being comfortable in asking those questions and even asking those questions of others or posing that. And I think some of us too have that difference between our personal and professional lives. Perhaps, mm. you know, when you and I get together and chat, we'll ask each other these questions or, you know, even trying to kind of get outside of you know, those that are like-minded, but, you know, when we're at the dinner table, um, you know, are we asking relatives those questions when, you know, th mm -hmm. topics definitely come up. And I think that's, I know, f personally, for me is the hardest piece, but it's something that I think is very important is, you yeah. know, it's not just those that you work with, it's kind of those that you, I guess, break bread with. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's often like the hardest, right? It's so hard. <laughs> Um, sorry, sorry to those relatives that might be listening to this someday. I know that I'm talking about them. <laughs> it was you that ruined it, dinner. Uh, but um, so For sure. I think a, a great segue is kind of like, you know, we it, it's such an important piece to kind of talk about those questions. But I do know that you also think about sort of long-term strategies and, and do you have some thoughts on solutions that might exist or sort of like directions for these solutions? And mm -hmm. you phrased it as kind of like a, you know, we're not really thinking in the long-term and um, specifically kind of talked about meaningful community-wide well-being. So mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to hear from you, you know, are there strategies that you see that are put in place that are perhaps, you know, concerning or not so impactful? And at the same time, you know, are there ones that you see as more promising? How, how do you see us as kind of like working toward that, um, that meaningful community-wide well-being, as you put it? So I'll kind of touch back on just kind of highlighting the center and this large yeah. network that we're a part of that has been seriously a safety net in this time and just really kind of opening my eyes and my mind to, um, okay, how do we even do this better and add more businesses to this group and maybe even show other people how to do this? We also ha have kind of this mixed funding model. And so while we obviously are a viable business and we're creating revenue, generating revenue in and of ourselves, we also, we're L an L3C on paper. So we kind of get the benefits of, of a nonprofit and we're able to receive grant funding and donations, um, but we also can generate our own revenue as well. And so we've, you know, re in receiving some of these grants and looking at, looking at other, other these, of these funds, 
there's been just a little frustration because they often come with a lot of strings attached. Yeah. Uh, and I'm kind of learning in a new way that this is, you know, a dance kind of that's required for many nonprofits to learn. You know, you, you take the money because you need to pay for your staff or your, your major costs, but then you're also, you know, bound to doing what's required through the organization that's give. And so broadly speaking, you know, these funds are meant, especially right now, to be spent on relief efforts. Um, and not capacity building within the business. And so, you know, while I don't, I don't want to negate the need for relief, I think there's definitely a necessity for funds distributed exclusively for this immediate basic maintenance of survival. But then I begin to wonder, you know, how, here I go with my questions, <laughs> you know, how long yeah. are we in this relief phase yeah. and who is determining that timeline? So kind of on putting my business manager hat on, I'm thinking, I've been looking up a lot on um, like the future of the restaurant industry mm -hmm. and where we're going as an industry. And so much of it is this kind of technology integrated in the service, in service and in the restaurant industry. And so, you know, I think about something like updating our online capabilities to be able to do more online ordering or having a better delivery service, you know, that would really help us sustain long-term. We bring our staff back to work full-time and increase our customer base because we would then be on like the cutting edge of the industry. So I kind of wrestle with this whole grant thing because I'm, I'm really bent toward wanting to lead a business that's sustainable and smart and strategic with its resources. Yet you can't help but kind of feel like a puppet having to do what you're told to with certain funds. So yeah, like a dance, definitely having to learn. <laughs> so you talk a little bit about, you know, your business and the improvements that you want to speak specifically. Let's, let's talk about kind of that transition that you guys have been going through kind of through these past, what, six to eight weeks or so. I mean, after, you know, about four days from your announcement of being closed on March 13th, you transitioned to takeout orders and then kind of like took a pause before launching the pickup version of your soul food Sunday. Mm -hmm. What was that transition like? Like, what are you guys going through kind of as a business in your decisions and planning there? So kind of like I mentioned, we have quite a small team. There's five yeah. of us. Um, and most of us have been working together for either a year or longer, and then a couple of us from the very beginning. And so I think starting just with that, which is quite kind of unheard of in, in the restaurant industry to begin yeah. with. <laughs> Turnover is uh, pretty intense. <laughs> like daily. <laughs> um, so I think being able to kind of have that really good rapport and trust within the team already already was really helpful. Plus, we're in the first three years of business, which in and of itself bring tons of changes seemingly on a daily basis. And so, you know, kind of bittersweetly, COVID came in the midst of a lot of changes anyway. So it was like, okay, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> I think another thing is, you know, like many small Grand Rapids-based businesses, I think we have a very loyal customer base that seemed quite you know, I mean, just really flexible with the changes. So, you know, we put the word out, okay, we're going to be closed for a little bit. We'll let you know, you know, people are asking, how can we help? Is there any way we can, you know, how can we still continue to support you? And we really just felt kind of this influx of, okay, people are still here. People still have to eat. People 
still want to get out their house every now and then when they can. So how do we create a service and, and really stay relevant, even if that means two times a week and we are only doing takeout for a few hours and the whole, you know, I ran it by the staff and everybody was on board. So it was just kind of a, a natural transition. And now just as we've been doing this, so we've been doing takeouts for Soul Food Weekend, we've now called it Saturday and Sundays um, for four hours each. And then we also, because of other programs we're a part of, Tuesdays and Fridays, we're doing free meal deliveries to some seniors and some youth that are with Bethany's program. Yeah. So that also allows for, obviously, people to keep working and stay on the clock. So we've had kind of this, this customer base that has continued to engage with us and, you know, gotten some of their networks to donate their time or get their churches and what have you involved and just been really huge supports to us in kind of creative ways. I think the last little piece is anyone, have you ever worked in the in restaurant industry, Tara? Many, many years. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's this, I don't know. I want to see what people think. I think especially people that are lifers or in the restaurant industry for, for years on end, there's kind of this obsession of dealing with really hard things. <laughs> you know, it's like we, whether it's like customers screaming in your face or staff that doesn't show up. So you have to run a, a crazy lunch rush with like half your staff. I don't know. We, we like it and we stay. <laughs> so we're I conditioned think, to it. <laughs> yes. I think it's like this, you know, addiction to dysfunction or something. <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, I think that on top of everything, you know, being in the first three years of business, there's lots of changes anyways. It just was kind of like, okay, what's next? Let's face it head on and figure out what we have to do to keep moving forward. And, you know, that's what we've done. So I think the, so I'm studying organizational leadership right now. And I was just in a class on change management that was incredibly fascinating to me. And it talks about this issue of being many organizations being built to last when instead they should be built to change. Mm. And so, um, you know, though this was something that I kind of just started thinking about months ago I, and asking questions about, I think that has kind of subconsciously made its way into kind of how I move and operate. And so, you know, building systems that like, hey, being really excited when we start a new, a new promotion and then congratulating ourselves when it goes really well and looking at what we can change when it doesn't and moving on, you know? And so I think maybe the team and myself have just kind of gotten used to an organization that is flexible and kind of changing with the ebb and flows of our environment. So yeah, that was a lot. I think that was really well put. And I, it also, to me, it's interesting, as you say that I, I mean, I have very strong feelings about the power of of good leadership and mm. what that can do to really create and build these strong teams and I imagine I feel like your props is due to you that the success and kind of that transition is probably due to that leadership that you're bringing there so well thank you. I hope that others can see that and really look to to emulate it it's so important for success and but mm -hmm. in so many different ways you know as a business as well as the not just the mental well-being and the, you know, the happiness of your staff. It's, mm -hmm. I think there's multitudes of ramifications there. For sure. So then kind of to go wider and broader than to other people in the industry and other small uh, restaurant owners, 
I was listening to a um, podcast uh, the other day with, it was, I think, three local small business owners or managers, and they were all, I appreciated the diversity that they brought to the table, gender, racially, and kind of even scope of business. And so that was cool. But it was just interesting how there was these two smaller, really completely independently owned businesses and then a owner of a restaurant kind of group and Mm -hmm. um, just the different experiences they had. And I realized even myself in many ways, speaking from a place of privilege of having these larger connections and people to advocate for us and fight on our behalf and apply for these funds and even, you know, lend us money free and clear just because of the network that we're a part of. But then you have these other smaller businesses, completely independently owned businesses that are closed right now, pretty much until further notice. And so, yep, that, that starts to beg other questions. Why have they not received any funding yet? You know, who is advocating for them? Whose responsibility is it to advocate for them? Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for chatting with me today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. To learn more about the work of Rising Grinds, part of the Grand Rapids Center for Community Transformation, follow the link available in this episode's description or visit them at rgcafe.org.